gonna be in the know About how we put together our little show If you'd like to hear the puppeteers And play the characters that you cheer So join us as we go, go, go Below the frame On this episode of Below the Frame I'm talking to Muppet performer and Star Wars cast member Mike Quinn we will be talking about The Muppet Show, Star Wars, puppetry, of course, and a lot more. He's got a lot of great stories to tell. Plus, we will be learning about headbands in puppetry and asking a puppeteer about not puppets. It's time to go below the frame. Go, go, go below the frame. Welcome to Below the Frame with me, Matt Vogel. If you like this here podcast, I'm asking you, as I do every episode, to please rate and review. We are at the halfway mark of this season, I think, and it's, uh, I think it's going pretty well. We have had chats with the likes of Louise Gold and Joey Mazzarino, Noel McNeil, Debbie Spinney, so many others, and we got a whole first season of shows in the bank that you can go back to anytime you like, so please... Uh, listen away. And as always, thank you for listening to Below the Frame. Uh, today... I am speaking with Mike Quinn. Now, if you do not know Mike, he has been around for a long time with the Muppets, as you're going to see today. I mean, all the way back to the Muppet Show. And this interview is chock full of little anecdotes and memories from Jim Henson and the Dark Crystal and, and so much more of Muppet history. A lot of stories I've never, ever heard before. So if you love that kind of thing, if you love that kind of history, you're going to love this interview. And... Um, you know, Mike also plays a prominent character in an iconic sci-fi series of films that you may have heard of. Um, why am I being unnecessarily vague? I really don't know. Um, maybe to keep up the suspense. Uh, plus, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mentioned it in the tease. So, you know, we're going to talk about Star Wars. Uh, anyway, uh, none of that matters because it's time to throw to the interview. All right, here we go. Let's go below the frame with Mike Quinn. So are you recording on GarageBand? And I am now recording on gar GarageBand, yes. Do you, what do you call the place where you park your cars in, in England? Um, Is it a garage or a well, garage? That's, it, what, that's been we... a debate. I was reading up about this, actually. The BBC were the people that decided whether it should be garage or garage. And during, like, wartime, at one point it was, it was garage. And then they, they switched uh -huh. to garage uh, for a while. And then they've gone back to garage again, like, several decades ago. So it'd be, it was kind of uh -huh. like a, even the BBC couldn't decide uh, in their formal <laughs> days what, what it should be. So, but normally... Why did they get to decide? What, why was it the BBC that got to decide Because they this? were uh, government-run, and uh, they decided everything about the country. But uh, normally, typically, right. garage is considered a little posh, and garage is like London, uh, you know, it's a little bit more common. Okay. Garage. You know, let's go down the garage. Right, well, <laughs> so what will, you be, what will you be recording on today, then? Oh, I'll be recording on garage band. <laughs> garage <laughs> Fantastic. Band. All right. Multi, multi band, garage band. band. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to, ready to do this, Mike? We're good. All right, let's do it. Here we go. I'm just going to introduce you and then we'll go. Here we go. 
Mike Quinn, welcome to Below the Frame. How oh, are you thank doing? Thank you so much. It's good to be here. It's good. Thank you so much. It's, <laughs> I love your show. Yeah. So this is a real honor. Oh, well, I am super excited to talk to you today because, well, first of all, I haven't seen you in person no. in a year, like a year and a, I don't know, change. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been too long, which is very sad. But here we are. We're, we're slowly yeah. coming out of the woodwork again now and making, reconnecting and making plans. And it's a very exciting time for, for growth and rebirth. Oh, I like that. That's very well. Maybe we'll get into that as we talk today. Uh, I'm going to start though, Mike, way back at the beginning, uh, and I want to know. I want to know where where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up at home. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry. I. I <laughs> yes. It's... No. This is the typical Mike Quinn. <laughs> saucy answers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the thing is, I was being serious, but no. Um, actually, the thing is, I, I, I was born in Chatham in Kent, which I believe is where you did some of your locations for Muppets Most Wanted. At the dockyards or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the dockyard. Yeah, that's like south. Yeah, isn't uh, it? well, south, kind of, uh, south. Uh, south and, and uh, east. Ish. Yeah. East. West, East, um, So I was yeah. there for about two years, and then we moved to North London, and I grew up uh, in Nor- a, a town called Enfield, North London, just sort of outside outside of London itself, uh, near the Greenbelt. So, and uh, well, tell me about growing up there. What was that it was like? very sort of suburban, I suppose. Um, now it's sort of become like an extension of London, as as London has just grown and exploded. But it was it was it was quite um, normal, I suppose. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, just a. I think Enfield would have been a beautiful town back in the 1930s. You know, with and they used to have trams and stuff. So it's amazing to see how it used to be. But but things were very very kind of uh, regular, I guess. Uh, growing up there, my parents uh, would have a, a stall on the local market on weekends there. Um, so uh, you know, we were just sort of a normal family. Well, actually, when I say normal, <coughs> I, that is a relative <laughs> term. I mean. <laughs> Most things were sort of normal, but um, mm-hmm. uh, my sister was actually uh, in the entertainment business as a child performer, so that was the not normal part, I suppose. I um, see. What, did, what kind of things so did your she, sister do? Um, she was uh, a singer. Um, uh, she played piano. Uh, she acted on stage in London as a kid, at uh, the London Palladium and other places. Um, wow. Yeah, so she's, she's two years older than me. So uh, I used to sort of hang out backstage a lot and, and sort of enjoy all the mechanics of the scenery and how things worked, <laughs> and, and I, I was really quite intrigued by that. She also, for a little while, had a ventriloquist uh, act, a uh, ventriloquist dummy. So she was like probably really? nine or ten or something like that. So, you know, when, when everyone was out of the room and this thing was just sitting there staring <laughs> at me, I'd, I'd start playing with it and sort of trying to make it come to life. So I'd be, yeah, I'd, I don't know, I suppose I'd be eight or nine or something, I'm not sure. But um, it was like a, an, an early animatronic, if you, if you want to look at it like that. Did the, the eyes Yeah, move exactly. They and, had like, uh, oh, it was like yeah, a it was real a deal. ventriloquist dummy, like a professional one. Um, so it had eyebrows wow. that moved and, and blinks and eye turns and, and upper lip, lower lip, ears wiggled, a little, its wig would flap up, uh, you know. So, oh, my gosh. So I, I kind of would play around with that. I did have marionette puppets and, and in fact, a glove puppet uh, show that I created when I was about eight as well. I was going to say, so were you were interested in puppetry at a young age, and this was because of your sister and this? Not ben- really. Ben-Demi. That was almost just a, a happenstance. But I was interested in puppets way before then. I think I think my very first oh. puppet was 
probably trying to make my little teddy bear come to life and talk to me because I was such a lonely, sad child. <laughs> and so uh, that was that was one way of making my own friends. So, but then I had these uh, little glove puppets and and um, a magic mm. act as well. Um, but uh, there were sort of these large magic props. Um, we got a bunch of stuff from a retired uh, children's entertainer. But I was a bit shy, so I wasn't very good with the, the patter uh, that magicians usually have. And all these, <laughs> right. these props right, were right. kind of like a bit large for me as well. So, But I would sort of have this uh, double act, really, where I'd, I'd uh, start out with the magic show and then do this puppet show. So I'd, I'd perform it in parks at talent shows. I did a few auditions for, for a few talent shows on, on TV as a kid. I was pretty rubbish mm. at both of them, I will. I will say that now. <clears throat> I mean, it was really bad. Um, so I didn't really get anywhere. Uh, but um, I was always interested in puppets. You know, back in, in growing up in the 60s and 70s in the UK, puppets were everywhere. I mean, it was, you know, a big thing. So were they on yeah, TV? Yeah, they were, were they, would you go to theater and no, see them? No, there, the yeah, of... there was their old um, TV puppet shows from the 50s that they would rerun um, and new current shows, uh, local sort of mm. uh, TV shows and stuff, for, mostly for kids. Um, but I always loved that. Now, at the same time, um, I was quite obsessive about uh, cartoons and uh, Disney things, and, and I would do a lot of drawing and uh, was really interested in animation. Uh, at the same time, oh. so did you draw, make little animations yeah, like flip oh yeah, books all that and, stuff? And, and, and you know, oh, in, you in, instead of doing work in school, I'd be drawing these things in my school <laughs> school books. Little guys walking yeah. out in tunnels and encountering Frankenstein monsters and all kinds of little <laughs> trapdoors and stuff. So I'd make up these little wow. stories, like sort of an on, ongoing comic strip as well. Um, so I was always doing everything except what I was supposed to be doing, I think. Because, th because ultimately, that's what you were supposed because to be doing. Because that is what I knew, it, yeah. It is. Uh, you were supposed you to know. be doing it, that, but you just weren't doing yeah, it then. No. You were doing the wrong thing then, but ultimately, exactly. you know what I mean. Well, uh, going back a little <laughs> bit further, I actually wanted to be a clown oh. in the circus. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed visiting local you know, circuses that would come to our town and stuff, and thought that was absolutely fascinating. So I, I considered, right. there was one time in, in, I guess I must have been about six or seven, maybe seven, and for some reason the teacher had to leave the classroom in an emergency, and we were all unsupervised, so that was my opportunity to put coloured chalks on my face and become a clown and give a little slapstick <laughs> routine for the kids of the class, uh, which uh, oh. afforded me some, some rather he hefty slaps on the leg. Uh, because they used to do that back really? then in those days. No, that's yeah. right. Was it with a ruler uh, or was it just a bare uh, hand? What, what yes, and a bare leg. So uh, I got in on the oh, leg. Yeah. So I got into a lot of trouble for that. But hey, you know that was like uh, a, a great audience uh, uh, test there. So, so yeah, clowns, circuses, animation, puppets. Um, you could sort of see where things were going. I I did get yeah. into trouble. Well, it wasn't really in trouble, but a comment was made to my parents. I think I was about eight. Where. I spent the entire day in class doing John Cleese's uh, Ministry of Silly Walks uh, up and down the, the class. And the, uh -huh. apparently the teacher said she had a hard time trying to not laugh because she didn't want to encourage me. So, so that right. was really my sort of school years for the most part. And that's what it was like growing up in Enfield. How did you learn about... Jim Henson or the Muppets. Yeah, um, we didn't have quite as much stuff in the UK as you guys did in the States in the... Uh, right, with Sesame Street, We had a right? little bit, though. Yeah, and I used to... I was, I was way above the, the uh, main age for Sesame Street, but we had it on Saturday right. mornings uh, here. So I used to watch that, of course, mm. uh, uh, 70s. 
Um, we had a few Muppet specials that were made over here and a few guest appearances, but hardly anything at all. So in 76, how old was I? I was 12, I think. Uh, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Muppet Show uh, started on, on TV, and it, it was a big hit on, in the UK, like right away, much sooner than in, in the States. Mm. And so uh, I very quickly became obsessed with this new thing. It's like, oh my, how, what is this? What's happening? How are they doing this stuff? Yeah. Uh, how, how are they made? And I just couldn't get enough of it. It's the same old story, right? Most of the people you've interviewed right. yeah, had yeah. a similar kind of, you know, uh, obsession. This, this attraction, something that, that yeah. draws you in, an inspiration or whatever it was. Like, what's Yeah, happening? something that connected. And also, yeah. it's, it's at the right time as well. I think timing is, is always mm-hmm. really important in these things. So, uh, and it was a good age to become obsessed about something healthy as well, thankfully. So, uh, you <laughs> know, true. otherwise true. who knows what I would have, I would have you know, yeah, who, who knows? knows, I would have broken into people's <laughs> houses and peeled off their wallpaper in the middle of the night or something, <laughs> which apparently is a career now. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Is it? Oh. Yeah, I'm sure there's whole YouTube channels on it and stuff. And if not, I'm going to start one. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so so that came along. And I really um, just loved uh, this whole thing. And I thought, you know what, this is is like living cartoons. This is animation and puppetry and magic all rolled into one. Yeah. And they kind of look like clowns, too. They have, you know, the the visual. Everything you love. Everything you love. Rolled into one bundle. Did you know... At that point, who was under these characters, creatures, clown-like things? Did you I, care? I had no idea, but I did care. And I would in the TV paper listings uh, that they used to have over here, um, they would list who the performers were and what characters they did. And I think early on there were some some um, uh, publications that that uh, featured behind the scenes. So you'd see a few pictures of the puppeteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and so you could sort of yeah. see what the, who these all these weird tall bearded guys were, and like, what's <laughs> wow, you got to be tall and bearded and, and a hippie. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. Um, yeah. So so uh, and and then I had pocket money, so I would spend my pocket money on foams and furs and fabrics and start constructing mm. half finished puppets uh, to learn how to to um, to construct them uh, mostly mistakes and things that would get abandoned part way because I was learning you know and that's that's how yeah. we learned but there were no patterns <clears throat> there were or no. I mean you, you were just kind of going off of Pictures, just your yeah. imagination did you did you draw them out yourself first and sometimes then I try to yeah, replicate sometimes them? I would I'd, I'd just study photographs and try to figure out well it looks like there might be a seam there but I'm not sure and you know oh we're talking gosh. 1976 77 so uh, yeah. there was nothing at that point i it was it the last two years of, of my senior school was uh, 79 and 80 and for those two years you could choose uh specific career subjects um so i i wanted to do uh you know art drama sewing or it was called needlework mm-hmm. then and the Apparently, I'd chosen too many creative subjects, and the, the headmaster <laughs> said, "No, well, you can't." He was well. She said, "Well, well, 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 no, you, you, you can't. You're not going to become an actor, are you? So we won't let you. We'll cross that off the list." And so, so he wouldn't let me take drama. So I never took drama in school because I'm not apparently what? ever going to be an actor. Um, okay. However, um, we fought so hard to get me. I wanted to take needlework in class so I could make puppets on school time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you? Uh, why wouldn't you? Yeah, so, that's I mean, woodwork and obsessed with doing that thing. You want to do it all yeah, the time. Woodwork and, and metalwork. Who needs that? So, no, there hadn't been any other boys in school that had ever taken sewing or needlework 
before, or cooking for that matter. I think now they call it home economics or something. But but mm-hmm. um, then you had cooking and you had sewing or needlework, and the girls took that and the boys took metalwork and woodwork. <laughs> it's so okay, different now, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah. thankfully. Yeah, um, but, but they didn't want me to, they wouldn't let me take it at first, and the answer was uh, the teacher had said, well, I'd ne- I've never taught a boy before. What's what would be different? The, t- well, <laughs> the instructions yeah, are the same. Yeah. You've got ten fingers. I learned how to use a sewing machine. My mother used to sew as well. In fact, so so you know, she helped me sort of learn a bit of sewing machine stuff at home as well. Um, she made, used to make my sister's costumes for the stage and th- and things like that. So. Uh, so I had a bit of a head start that with that. But the thing is, you had to make, in that, I think, main year, you had to make a garment of clothing and then a, an item of your own choice. So, of course, guess how quickly I made that shirt. Oh. <laughs> I made me a collared <laughs> yeah. shirt. It was rubbish. I, I, I remember this awful checkered thing, and I never, ever wore it. It's yeah. like, who cares about the shirt? And then I spent the rest of the year making puppets. And, and I think uh. by the end of the second year... Um, I was kind of like top of the class, and all my puppets were on display, and the, the, the main, you know, part of the class on open night, and all that kind of thing. So it was quite funny. Mm. Uh, so, so that was the puppet making side of things. But meanwhile, mm. going back a, a few years, um, I used to listen to um, a radio show on Saturday afternoon lunch times. I think it was. Uh, it was a London radio show uh, on uh, Capital Radio, and it was the Kenny Everett show and uh, he was quite well known in the UK for being a, a little bit crazy and he, he sort of helped launch uh, people like Queen do uh, get Bohemian Rhapsody airplay he's actually uh, you can actually oh. see someone playing him in the uh, movie in, yeah, the, yeah. in the movie right so yeah. someone plays Kenny Everett so this was the same show so it was 1977 so I'd be a, I was about 13 and they announced, he announced that the following week they were going to have the Muppets live in the studio uh, for his show. So uh, uh-huh. I got on the bus. Um, I had my little, little kids' TV magazine that had a picture of the, all the Jim and the puppets on the back and uh, uh, arrived at, at the lobby of Capital Radio on a Saturday uh, lunchtime. And uh, in, in comes Jim, Frank, Jerry... Dave, uh, was there anyone? And, uh, was, yeah, that was it, I think. And I met them for the first time. They signed my my magazine, which I still have. That's so it, cool. It was very cool. Um, and it's apparently it's the same day that Louise Gold had her Muppet audition that afternoon. Oh, Isn't really? that crazy? So it, it is. Was, so in the morning they were they went in to yeah. do this radio show, and you met them. They signed your and magazine. Then they, yeah. Later that day, they went and found so Louise. You see, stars were beginning to align, oh. weren't they? Already, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Very strange. It and is. then, uh, what it's was it? About hard. a year later, I think, if that, um, they they announced. Of course, the Muppet movie was being was having its world royal world premiere at the Leicester mm. Square Theatre in London. And so I called uh, Lou Grade's office and got two tickets with my pocket money. You just called and said, hey, I'm a fan. I'd yeah, love to come see the movie. He didn't answer the phone himself. It was a secretary, though. <laughs> right, of course, but, of course. Uh, sadly. <laughs> of course. Uh, however, but yeah. I, I bought two tickets and uh, I had to get black tie stuff. I didn't have that. I didn't have black tie outfits and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I walked the red carpet with my mother. At, uh, I guess I was, yeah, 13, 14, something like that. And uh, and watch the premiere, the world premiere of the Muppet movie. So, and wow. at the end, uh, I, 
the, let's see, I saw uh, Spike Milligan, um, who was there, who'd uh-huh. of course just done a Muppet show. Um, so he signed my ticket. I worked many, many, many years later with Spike. I directed him on a puppet uh, voice uh, show that we did. So that was kind of nice. Oh. But um, And Richard Hunt, of course, he signed my uh, ticket as well. I didn't see any of the other guys. but um, Did you talk to Richard yeah. at all? Or, yeah, just briefly. He, was, he, he, so he just sort of commented, oh, I see you got Spike and, you know, usual Richard sort of stuff. So that was that. That was sort of the second... Encounter really cool, but that's what obsessiveness does. It, it, it makes things happen that aren't really supposed to happen. Uh, you know, if you're if you're that driven, or maybe they are. Yeah, maybe they are supposed to happen. I mean, maybe you are. Yeah, almost willing it to happen because you're you're putting that energy out there. I wonder if that's part well, of it. Well, the thing I think so because I, I find I still do it. I, I haven't really changed. I, I, I do by sheer force of will and just desire. I do find I have this ability to make things happen that, that you think that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. What you know? But it, it, it's a kind of a, a kind of a magic in a way, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe we're all magical in some way, and we have. I do think we have a lot of power that we don't tap into and we don't use or are not aware of. Um, you know, we give in too quickly. I think that's and the true. people that don't achieve things are the ones that that stop trying. Right? Yeah. I think by. By believing it enough and, and wanting it enough, um, it, it, I think it, it can make things happen that otherwise would not happen. And they can be extraordinary things. Um, people yeah. do it all the time, every day, you know, not just us uh, mm-hmm. that are you know, on camera, but uh, behind the scenes and in r- real life uh, yeah. jobs, they make extraordinary things happen. Uh, which, I, and I, I look at them and I think, how are you doing this stuff? You know, like you know, eight-year-old <laughs> eight kids raising millions of pounds to help something, some, some you know, unbelievable, uh, you know, hospital machinery or something. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's remarkable. Um, so yeah. it is. It is that drive that people have. That drive yeah. that they have that is going to. They can achieve something, and they believe it enough, and it happens. And and why not? Um, why not still do that now? You know, it doesn't. I, I don't think it needs to yeah. stop at any age. I agree. So, so for you, Mike, you knew what you wanted to do. At that point, you is, wanted yes. to, right? Yes, at that point, it's like, okay, you know, here we are, 1976, 77. I want to, I want to do puppets. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I couldn't do Muppets, but I want to do puppets like that stuff, like they do, and I want to learn. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, I was, I was practicing in front of a mirror. You know, we didn't have video cameras or cell phones or anything like that, uh, but we did have mirrors. Mm-hmm. So I, I set up a mirror in yes. my bedroom, and I would, I would just... <laughs> imitate their techniques and, and get that muscle memory working and, and just practice all that stuff uh, for hours on end. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes miming to a, a, you know, a Muppet. I used to tape all the Muppet shows on audio cassettes so I could play them back and, and mime to those. because yeah, we didn't have ability to record them on video no, yet. That was not around no, right. Yet. It was only, I think it existed on reel-to-reel uh, high-end stuff. Um yeah. At that point, couldn't we just uh, you know normal consumers no, could not no, no. videotape things until mid eighties, yeah, yeah. late yeah. mid to late eighties yeah, right or something. So you did. I remember doing something <laughs> similar to to a, a you know a show that I'd wanted to see, or I wanted to somehow yeah. keep keep that. And the only way you could do it was if you took your your tape recorder and put a cassette tape in an audio cassette and record it. And that's, it. And that's there what it was. I did. And that's what you had to remember what and it I, looked I, like. So everyone, you got to be quiet. Don't make a sound. I want to, you know. <laughs> and that was Friday. No laughter. Yeah, Friday night at seven seven thirty, whatever it was, every night. So you know, rather than you know, and 
there were no girlfriends because the Muppet Show was my girlfriend at that age. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, potential uh, ex-girlfriends, but it never happened. Uh, Muppets was my first love, so which is true. So Muppets are kind of in my DNA a little bit now, you know, because I was yeah. at that age. You're still wiring. Your brain is still uh, getting getting figured out, and your your body is also still growing. So. So uh, you know, I think I think I, I did sort of become a little bit hardwired at some point to 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 to, to be a, a puppet person. So uh, yeah, so I was obsessing. I was teaching myself. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a puppeteer of some sort. Uh, I just didn't think I could be a Muppet performer. Did you? Th- you were practicing to a mirror. Is that because you knew that they looked at TV monitors and that's how they Yes, I'd worked? seen a, a picture, a picture of them yeah. looking down at a, a monitor. A single picture. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 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 And you put it together. That must be how they do it. Well, that was pretty remarkable for a young man to think, oh, wait, that's what they do. How can I do that? Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll look in a mirror. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just brilliant. That's really Go brilliant. through the burn, you know, and, and uh, just... Get that muscle memory, and 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 you know, every time I did something, it would get that little bit better. And I'll try and copy styles of what the puppeteers were doing, you know. And I could see that different puppeteers mm. had different different emphasis and different ways of doing things. So, and I was learning what yeah. each, each puppeteer did, you know, what their styles were with each character. And that is some pretty uh, deep observation that only really, I mean, maybe people do do this. I don't know, but only people. Uh, puppeteers, I think, that are really into it, <laughs> know like, oh, that's definitely Richard, or that's yeah, Frank, yeah, or that's Frank. Like we have watched so much yeah. and absorbed it that we can see the differences in their manipulation. Yeah. Where I don't know that if just the casual viewer would, pick yeah, that maybe up. the voice is more so. That might be a little easier for people mm-hmm. to to recognize um, because you know, yeah. essentially, we can only go so far with our voices. Although, with that said, That's you right. know, it took me a long time to figure out who was doing every everyone. But um, or if there's a new character comes along, you're like, hey, who is that? Who is mm-hmm. that? So, um, and that yeah. still happens now. You know, I mean, like Peter will come up with something, and I'll be like, who's the, who is that? Is that Peter? Who is what, that? What? what? <laughs> you know, so, which is great. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, uh, puppetry styles. Each each of the core Muppet performers all had a very specific, unique, wonderful, amazing uh, style. Um, did, were you drawn to anyone in particular, or any any particular performer's style? At that point, I, I wasn't, but I could recognize how. Um, like for example, that Jim was quite free and playful with his stuff, and that Frank was was much more controlled and technical, and Dave was a lot more sort of um, efficient and minimalist in many ways, and that Jerry was a lot more soulful, and and uh, that Richard was just you know out there like da, 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 you know. So I could I could sort of recognize those core core styles, uh, you know, if, if I were to label them in that way. Yeah. Um, uh, but at that point, I. I didn't know that one, you know. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't drawn necessarily to one above the other. I just wanted to see those, you know. I just wanted a muppet on my hand and watch that magic happen with yeah. that, with those eyes and that mouth, you know. So, what did you do? How did you start to make this dream come to life? So, I made puppets. Um, I finished the puppets. I practiced with my bare hand. I practiced with puppets. I. Um, I remember, I don't know why, but a local newspaper came around and took pictures of these puppets all sat around me out in the backyard, and that was in the local newspaper. Um, 
But um, just after that, so this would be beginning of 1980. It was my last year of school, last six months of school. And um, my dad was working for a company that provided entertainment for clubs and companies and businesses, you know, for the evening. Like a lot of businesses would have a club or a bar and people would then spend that, you know, like a Friday night or whatever at that club, that business club, company club. And uh, yeah. on this particular occasion, it happened to be ATV uh, at Boreham Wood. <laughs> okay. uh, so, yeah. so my dad got to know the, uh, the accountant uh, for the Muppet Show, I guess, and for ATV. And suddenly, I had a I had a, a pass to go see uh, a taping of a Muppet Show, which was Linda Carter. Wow, it's Wonder Woman, of course. It was great. <laughs> so, because uh, I was just you know beside myself with excitement. Um, and I, I remember I had I'd made a, an applique Doctor Teeth T-shirt that was like made out of felt and all embroidered and stuff, and I'd made it with Velcro so I could take it off and wash the shirt and stick it back on again. <laughs> Pretty so, smart. Well, I guess. Uh, uh, so, so the way it used to work at, on a Muppet Show, it was in Studio D, which was the, their sort of um, variety show studio, and they'd have this sort of raked small amount of rate seating when they'd have a live studio audience. But, of course, when they did Muppet Show, they never had a live audience, of course. Um, but um, the guests were usually shot, I think, on a Wednesday. I think they always did the, them entirely in one day on a Wednesday. Um, so that was the day I would always go along. And there'd just be, like, one, two, three, four people sitting up there just hanging out for an hour or two, and then they'd leave, you know, and I'd be, like, right at the front the whole day taking it all in. So I, I got... I remember I got called down onto the studio floor uh, at one point and, um, and they were talking about my shirt and I was just like, oh, Muppets, Muppet people, oh, you know, this is the Muppet <laughs> show set, backstage yeah. set, Stalin Waller. And I've, afterwards, I'd heard that Linda Carter had said something to me about, I guess, my shirt and I just completely blew her off because, like, you're not Muppets. You know, I didn't, or I didn't hear her, <laughs> right, I don't know. Right. I was so excited. Yeah, yeah. So I, I blew off Linda Carter, so sorry, Linda. <laughs> I owe you one. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this became a regular thing. And because it was the last year of school, they would, they would allow you to have... Um, you could, like an internship. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. So instead of doing everything in, over a period of a, a week or two or three weeks, I'd just grab the odd day here and there and visit Muppet Show, and they would let mm. me do that. In fact, the school was glad for me to not be around, in fact. Like, <laughs> I remember the career, <laughs> careers interview I had at school was like... Uh, they're like, okay, there's nothing we can do for you. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, bye, there's the door. So, so they were quite happy for me to do this. And so I would go, yeah. go along about every other week and uh, watch the guest stars tape their shows, uh, you know, Diana Ross and, and um, Linda Ronstadt, uh, the very last one, of course, which was Gene Kelly. And so they got wow. to know me there, of course, and I would, each time I went along, I'd try and find some excuse to connect and interact with, the, with them all. <laughs> so, like... Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So one, one day I brought along my tape recorder and a microphone and got uh, recorded verbal autographs um, from, down in the, in the workshop. You know, the oh. Muppet Workshop was right next to the studio. So that was another yeah. good way of... Uh, but um, people like Jerry Nelson, for example, were always just so... They weren't like, go away, kid, you bother me. You know, it was quite the opposite. You know, they were always just so friendly and, and welcoming and nice, and the puppet makers too. So, 
So I got a bunch of verbal autographs from them that day. Another day I brought along, I had a, a Muppet, some Muppet scrapbooks I was putting together and they signed a page in there. And, and then uh, there are a few times I brought um, my bags full of uh, puppets along uh, to, to show them. And uh, Richard Hunt and Jim Henson would put these puppets on and work them. Uh, and did your was your brain just melting out of your it was, ears? It was. You just could you believe that they had your was, puppets on their hand? Y- yes, and yes and no. I mean, yeah, it's like uh, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And this, you know, the, in, taking moments out of their busy production schedule to to you know give me five or ten minutes uh, here and there sometimes. Um, and I remember one of the. Uh, whether it was Raleigh or Jan or I don't remember who, but somebody said, would you like to try on a, you know, an actual Muppet? <gasps> Which one would you like to try? And of course, right there was Kermit, so I put Kermit on and he was the first Muppet I think I actually tried on. Uh, wow, which is, gosh. yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, so they got to know me anyhow. And, uh, and I, you know, I learned more about how they were shooting, basically, how they did things just watching them uh, week after week after week. Um, I, I would sort of um, offer bribes to the accountant uh, to get in each time. <laughs> so I would actually bring... So I was... What was I? 15. I was 15. And I would literally bring him, uh, like, chocolates and cigarettes because he was... A sm- Everyone smoked back then, apparently. Uh, I don't know. Right. So uh, as a 15-year-old, I would bring cigarettes to, to the accountant. <laughs> so he would let me into the studio... <laughs> And he took uh, them as well. He didn't say, oh, no, don't do that. It's fine. He, he, so, I'll yes. take those. Thank you very um, much. <laughs> I heard many years later, whether it was him or another one, I, I guess, allegedly anyway, there was an accountant at ATV that went to prison for embezzlement. Oh. So it may or may not have been. <laughs> Maybe. We don't, we don't know. We don't we, know. Yeah, I may or may not have had something to do with that. Or, <laughs> anyway, maybe I set him down a bad path. But uh, Maybe. So that was sort of, yeah, mm-hmm. like a, a, an acceleration of, uh, of, of, of um, my Muppet journey, I suppose, and my puppet journey. Okay, we will be back with Mike Quinn in just a few minutes. But first, oh, that'll be... Oh, it's fake ad time. Woo, run it. And then they're all soggy and fluffy-like. What are you going to do? And cut. Loved it. Let's watch it on playback. Whoa, whoa, why is the audio so terrible? Well, the puppeteer is reaching through two haystacks, but they need to look over their shoulder to see the monitor. Let's get a microphone in those haystacks. Yeah, but then the puppeteer is climbing down a ladder and passing under that tree branch and... Oh, yeah, shimming into that wooden box full of fake farm equipment. Right, so ask the puppeteer to speak more clearly. Okay, we're going again, and action... Let me paint a picture for you. You're a puppet. You got arms, and really got All right, let's listen back. What is with this sound? Does the puppeteer shove half an almond croissant in their mouth each time I say action? How come I can't get clean audio on this? Wait a minute. What if we mic the puppeteer directly? They can wear a headband, and then we can clip on a lavalier. Uh, lava what? Lavalier. There's lava here. Lavalier. Floor is lava, everyone. Uh, quick, somebody save that tiny dog. A lavalier. It's a small, wireless microphone. We can clip it to a headband. Then, any direction the puppeteer turns their head, the mic will travel 
with them. What are you, a headband salesman? No. Your cousin worked for the Elastic Sports Gear Council? Not anymore. Is your father a head sweat lobbyist? Never. Is your sister a power forward in the WNBA? She sells paint. Well, I think it's a great idea. Do we have room in the budget for a headband? I'll skip lunch. No, no, I'm the boss. I get the big bucks, so I'll donate my afternoon coffee budget to buy a headband for our sad puppeteer with the tiny mouth. Awesome. And I'll even get an extra headband for the dog in case she has any lights. It's so cute. Tiny little puppy headband. Are you a good featured extra? Yeah, are you? I mean, you were so brave when the floor was lava. Yes, you were. You were so brave. So we're losing daylight. Right, you are. Okay, people, back to it. Let's roll. Hey, now, it's my job to say let's roll. Oh, right. (laughs) Let's continue to roll. Puppeteers, your job is physical and demands you perform your characters in all kinds of outrageous and unnatural positions. It's time you turn your audio from zero to hero with a headband. Show up to set with a headband or a hat and your production sound mixer will love you forever. I just bring my microphone back to where it goes. That is right. Today's episode of Below the Frame is brought to you by headbands. Yeah, I, I know. You know, if you if you look at those old pictures of the Muppet performers, you see them wearing these huge headbands with the foam windscreens hanging off them, shaped like Kermit or something, and that's the microphone. We don't really have mics like that nowadays. I mean, it's mostly like a sweatband that the mic is, you know, the cable's laced through and onto the microphone that's right in the middle of our forehead, usually. Some people, like Marty Robinson, they still have a little extended arm on their headband that the mic's attached to, so it's uh, closer to his mouth. And I'm not... Not sure why it needs to be so close to his mouth. Marty's very loud, especially when performing telly. Uh, actually, he's got the mic attached to the little metal arm near his mouth because when he puts telly up, uh, and telly's kind of a bag, baggy puppet, and so it hangs down over Marty's head a little bit, and then there's a potential that the mic, uh, the puppet, could rub up against the mic. Uh, other performers wear just hats, and the mic is clipped there to that. It's, it's kind of a personal preference. I guess. In Big Bird, the microphone isn't on the headband either. It's on the uh, the harness that the monitor is seated in. It's right there on my right side, right there, you know, so they can, you know, you can hear the sound from inside Big Bird. So puppeteers, because we perform not only the movements of the puppet, but we also do the voice, we have to be mic'd so we can get the sound off the floor. We generally, we don't like to lip sync to pre-recorded tracks. Some, some shows, they do do that, like Crank Yankers, but... You know, it's just different than how we do it. So there you go, Jack. What do you think? Uh, Jack, he's, he took off. Okay, well, he didn't hear any of that, but doesn't matter. Hopefully you will find some, uh, you know, little bit in that for you and your puppetry. Um, I would like to thank Headbands for being a sponsor of Below the Frame. Now back to the show. We are back with Mike Quinn. Um, and then I left school at, um, at the earliest uh, legal opportunity, which was in the, in the summer of 1980. <laughs> uh, you know, you had the option at that point of say it's, it's two years earlier in the UK, I think, than it is in, in the States um, uh, for some reason. But anyway, you have the option of either staying on another two years or, or, or not. So I 
my my option was not. You chose not. Not. <laughs> not. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want to be a puppeteer and I'm going to figure something out, you know, or I'll, or I'll get a job and, and figure it out, you know, in the meantime. What'd you do? Which, well, at the same time that I uh, finished school, uh, I turned 16 just after that. So I, technically I'd left school at 15, basically, but I would have been 16 by the time the school year would have returned. So, so yeah, it's, it's a yeah. bit Dickensian, isn't it, really, when you think about it? It's so, yeah, so young. <laughs> so To go out into the world and try to yeah. m- make a life for yourself? Yeah, yeah with... I mean, you were still living at home. Yes, yes. I was. Yes, but uh, still, but, yeah. There's a lot now on your hands. Was, you got to start to make something. Yeah, for yeah. But I had to. I had to figure something out for sure. Earn my mm-hmm. keep. You know, that was kind of expected, really, to be honest. So, so um, if I didn't figure something out, it's like you get better get a job and pay some bills around here. So, mm. so Muppet Show finished at the same time, pretty well at that summer of eighty, uh, as I finished school. And, um, of course, they immediately went across the street to uh, the film studio uh, to, to make The Great Muppet Caper. Um, I didn't know a whole lot of what was going on, but uh, somebody probably at ATV told me uh, where they'd gone. Um, so, <laughs> so, guess what I yeah. did? <laughs> you went across yeah, the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah. I made friends with a security guy there. And he said, oh, yeah, Governor, yeah, they're not here today. They're, they're on location at uh, Adenham Village in, in uh, Hertfordshire. Uh, yeah, they're there. It's, 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 so, so I then set about getting a series of buses to go into London, So I, at Victoria uh, Station, I think it was, in London, so I could get another series of coaches that took me back out to, to Hertfordshire. How far away is that? Um, well, from from Elstree, it's probably only like a half-hour drive or something, but uh, it took me, like, I got there about... Four, four in the afternoon, I think, <laughs> something like that, because it took forever. But I figured it out. Yeah, and yeah, it was this little village, and they were shooting the where they they land in the in the duck pond with Robert Morley. You know that that where they fall from the plane. Yeah, yeah. So I, sh- I showed up and watched them shoot the last couple of hours of that. Um, and uh, I also with me had a little envelope, well, rather a large brown manila envelope that said, that had a letter in it to Jim Henson saying, please give me a job. Uh, and in it I had pictures wow. of um, puppets that I'd made and that same newspaper article that I referenced earlier was in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought, I'm going to give this to Jim and ask him for a job now because I've left school, that's what you do. You just go to Jim Henson yeah. or Lou Grade or somebody, you know. You, yeah, go where, who, yeah. yeah, go where you want. It's like if you want to be in job, politics, you go to the president of the United States of America to, <laughs> to you know, for a job application, yes. right? To sign yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's you, what do. you do. So uh, that's what I yep. that's what I do. However, <laughs> it was um, so. It was the end of the day. Everyone was packing up and going home. It was Jim Henson's forty fourth birthday that day. And mm. so people were giving him, like, birthday cards and stuff like that. And then I gave him my envelope, and he was like, oh, thank you very much, because he thought it was a birthday card. He, birthday. Yeah, so yeah. he didn't open it there and then, and I, I walked back to my little bus stop, and as I watched all the big limos drive by <laughs> to go back to base, I'm sure they all looked at me and thought, oh, poor kid, bless. I went back, yeah. I got home about 10.30 at night. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. But you, you had delivered... To Jim, I, this I letter. had. I not had a great day. Right. I took some photographs. It was amazing. So I was happy as anything. Uh, yeah. And then about two weeks later, a phone call came from David Laser. 
<laughs> the you know exec producer mm-hmm. uh, uh, yep. saying, uh, you know, do you want to do a week on Muppets as a background puppeteer? So I had to think about it for a, a while. So let me let me check my diary. Let me get back to you on <laughs> this. I'll get back to you. Let me see. I don't yeah. know. Should I? Is it really a good career move? I'm not <laughs> sure. Mm, maybe not. No, I don't know. Mm. No. So of course. So anyway, about a week or two later, yeah, I was um, I was tired basically as as kind of a. I think they they took me in under the the uh, extras uh, union uh, initially. I think mm-hmm. uh, just to get me in there for the first week. And there I was. So first first night, we, they were doing night shoots um, that week. You know, they were still technically location. So the very first thing I ever did was when the Happiness Hotel bus arrives at the Dubonnet Club and it stops. And mm-hmm. I was working Swedish Chef out of the bus window. And it's actually the front of the Elstree Studios uh, redressed. So, it, oh, which it is. is not there anymore, oh, sadly. Cool. But So that part of it's oh. gone. But that was the admin building out front where they, it actually arrives at. Uh, so that was my very first night. <clears throat> Second nights, they were they were shooting uh, London shots. You know where they're they're singing, they're doing the, uh, the, the the driving the Happiness Hotel bus around London, and Beauregard is is driving around with Kermit and Gonzo in the back. So so I was in the little yellow taxi that Beauregard was driving. The stunt driver was wearing a Beauregard uh, outfit in front driving, and I was literally on the in the back working Kermit and Gonzo. And you see that shot, it drives past Harrods in the film. And that you see Kermit, and that's yeah. me, that was my second night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Two wow. Puppets. Uh, and yeah, they were driving around and around the block. And in rush hour, can you imagine, like, looking over <laughs> in a car and saying, hey, <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a frog and a whatever in that, the back of that car. You know, it's one of those things. Uh, can you imagine yeah. that, though? How crazy. Oh so, and then gosh. the rest of the week was um, the exteriors at Nebworth House, uh, the Mallory Gallery, where they were trying to break in and, and all that kind of stuff and climbing up the... And going yeah, up the... Yeah, climbing up the drain pipe, up the drain uh, pipe. which the, most of it, of course, that was studio-created. Uh, but, but all the other parts, yeah, in the very end as well, where Nikki gets captured by the cops with Diana Rigg and everything. So that was my first mm. week. <laughs> Not a bad week. And as an extra then, you would, you would then get paid in cash uh, at the end of the week and they gave me oh. my first envelope of cash. And it's like, man, I'm hungry. I could really use some fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you do when you're in England. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I, I bought myself some fish and chips uh, to eat on the bus. A little mashed peas? No peas, I think. I think it was just just, just, uh, <laughs> just fish and chips just with vinegar. And, and I ate those on the bus on the way home. That was what I bought with my first uh, Muppet wages. <laughs> wow. And that's how wow, it started. Wow. Oh my gosh, Mike! That's uh, what an amazing <laughs> journey just to get to that first week on G- Great Muppet Caper, and it seemed like everything <laughs> that you experienced along the way was telling you, whether it was actions you were taking or whether you just happenstance, it was saying like, "This is what you need to be doing. Go this way." It seemed like it was driving you that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, what, it's so strange. I mean, when I found out first of all where Muppet Show was being. Uh, taped because we all thought it was made in the states, of course, because it was such an American mm. show. And then it's like, oh, it's half an hour from where I live. It's one bus ride. It, it, it I could literally get a, a bus from the end of my street that would drop me off outside the studio in about thirty minutes for like fifty p. I think it was. Um, uh, I mean, that's that's crazy. How how does that even happen? I know. Yeah. I mean, you would think of, like for for people that live in Hollywood. Right. It's it's it is it's just right there. It's down the street from where people live. But you know, you're you're just in the a UK, normal... and if you think that this yeah. show, 
Yeah, know, it's it's right nothing there. special oh. about us. We yeah, and it was right there, which was rather convenient. So, <laughs> um, yeah. and then yeah. uh, the, the other thing that happened at the same time um, because Bobby Payne, uh, you know, who, who Bobby Payne is, he was um, uh, one of the original builders for Sam and Friends. He went to school with Jim, I think, um, and uh, yeah. you know, he, he was on Sesame Street, of course. I think, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, built a lot of the early Muppets. Uh, so he was in the workshop uh, of Muppet Show in the last year when I was bringing puppets in, and he remembered that. And of course, he was doing some puppetry on the Great Muppet Caper as well in, in crowd scenes and stuff. And he needed uh, someone to help him build the Podlings and Slaves for Dark Crystal. Uh, someone to uh, now we're moving on. Yeah. To this, this and so when he found completely out different that thing. I was I was around and was now being employed by by Henson. He's like, oh, can I can I have Mike to, to help construct some of these heads and limbs and bodies? And it turned out there were about a hundred of them in total, 50, 50, oh podling, 50 podlings and fifty slaves. How long did you have to build those? How I much think time? It was several months, I think. I want to say three, two, three months. I'm not quite sure exactly. So, so you know, the, because it was a two picture deal that that uh, you know Jim wanted to make the Dark Crystal and Lou Grade wanted to make another Muppet oh. film because he'd lost so much money on Raise the Titanic. So they basically said, well, let's make each other's movie and, and make it a two-picture deal. So that's kind of how it happened. So we had the same crew, essentially, back-to-back -back on both films. You went one yeah. right from uh, Great Muppet Caper yeah. into Dark Crystal. Yeah, on the same studio, wow. same same uh, DP, same pretty well the same crew, same ADs. It was almost oh just like, yeah, the same film almost. But So so often at the end of the, <laughs> the Great Muppet Caper, we'd be doing film tests for Dark Crystal uh, so it would make for great dailies and rushes the next day because you'd go through all this Muppet stuff and then you'd see all these early Jen and Kira tests and creature lighting tests, makeup yeah. tests and all kinds of environmental stuff. It was amazing. So so the days that I wasn't filming on the Great Muppet Caper, I'd be at the Hampstead Workshop uh, with Bobby Payne um, and you know Faz Fazakas and Amy and, and all those guys uh, working on, on uh, building these podlings. So what an amazing! <laughs> I mean, such a fertile yeah, time for the. It was company. amazing. I mean, things were just yeah, growing I, and happening. And I, I definitely say that I learned so much in that first two years between Muppet Caper, Dark Crystal, and then Return of the Jedi. All the things I'd learned, have, I'm still using now. You know, that was like my foundation, and mm. and I don't think there would have been any other time where I could have learned as much from in, in so many aspects of. of, of film puppetry basically and tv puppetry it was a lot you know going going from learning learning muppet stuff to then learning animatronics and realistic you know how to make these things walk in a real way and stuff like that and then i somehow i i ended up working a skexis i think there were kathy mullen i think was going to be working one originally and there were there, i think mm. kevin clash was going to be coming over to work one but there was i think there were either he was Either there were visa issues or he was busy with Space Coaster or something. And Kathy decided oh. that um, uh, she had enough on her plate with Kira and didn't want to do a Skeksis. So, Under understandably. So, so you yeah. ended up doing <laughs> yeah. the Skeksis. At 16, I, I had my Mike. 17th birthday on the Crystal Chamber set of the Dark Crystal. Yes. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Well, I, I did. While we're here talking about Dark Crystal, I want to play something Ooh. for you. Somebody sent along a message. I first met Mike Quinn about 40 years ago when we were working on Dark Crystal. Mike was building podlings with Bobby Payne, and he would often pop by and see Lyle Conway and I as we were sculpting the various characters. 
But when Jim cast Mike as the role of the slave master Skeksis, we got to see him a lot more often. He came by for fittings, make sure his hand would fit into all the grips that we were building for the Skeksis. We discovered we grew up in the same part of London, just a few miles apart, but had never met until we worked for Jim. Throughout Dark Crystal, our friendship grew, and we had a great time working on that film. And in fact, a little while after, both Mike and I worked on Yoda for Frank on Return of the Jedi. When my son had his first birthday party, we invited Mike along. He brought a lovely present, a white cardboard jewellery box, wrapped with a ribbon. So we undid the ribbon, looked inside, and there was a single-use twin-blade shaving stick. He said, don't worry, he'll grow into it. (laughs) That's one of the things I love about Mike, is his sense of humour. He's really knowledgeable about classic British comedians and musical acts, and one of his favourites is Laurel and Hardy. And I think this knowledge and this history of comedy is one of the things that make his puppeteering and his performances so strong. That was Dave Barclay. Never heard of him. Sending along a message. Who, who Never no. <laughs> Good old Dave, yeah. So, yeah, we had a company together for years afterwards as well, making puppets and, and reinventing things a little bit and trying new stuff. And people would tell us we couldn't do it and we were crazy, but we did it anyway to prove them wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> you did red it. flag to a ball. <laughs> you can't do that. Yes, we can. So, yeah, good old Dave. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to send along that hello Great. to you. Great. Thank uh, you. He, 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 yeah. So, was there anything before we go to <laughs> a little film franchise called Star Wars? Uh, was there anything else about Dark Crystal that, that you wanted to mention? Maybe a memory that you had of filming something, maybe as a Skeksis or, or, or something like that? Yeah, I'd say there's a few, actually. Um, I do remember um, one time we were... I was assisting Kira. I think I was doing one of her arms or something with Melissa and, and Kathy. And it was it was this sort of wide shot where the, the camera pans down from a bird in the tree and you see the, the girlflings laying there the next morning, full length, you know, work, puppeteering them through holes in the floor. And, uh, and I remember Kathy saying, Jim, why is this so hard? <laughs> you know, and Jim just kind of looked at her and said, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember it so well. There was another time where um, we were in the crystal chamber and, uh, you know, we'd be in the Skeksis for quite a long time and that closes in. And then in between scenes, you could sort of unvelcro the side and sort of pop your head out for air, you know, uh, while you were still strapped mm-hmm. into this thing with your arm above your head. And, uh, you know, Jim and Frank were both, of course, co-directing uh, the movie. Uh, and uh, I remember Jim turning the corner and he just burst out laughing in the way that Jim would have that little chuckle that he, he had. <laughs> and uh, and he, he just he said, Michael, uh, you know, he couldn't like re- reconcile the fact that there was this evil uh, Skeksis with a, a hook and a <laughs> eye patch and and sleds and stutter and all kinds of stuff like that. And then they'd be like me, little me, looking out the side, grinning, you know, like all happy as anything. Like, oh, I'm doing yeah. a Skeksis. <laughs> and he just thought it was the funniest yeah. thing ever. He was like that though. He was uh. he, Jim was great. Jim was always just very very playful and. Uh, uh, you know, any opportunity to he, to play with a puppet, he would always be there. I think he was just so happy when he didn't have to be a businessman and he could just mm. put a puppet on his arm and, and just have a laugh and a play and a sing. And he was always very free with his with his uh, 
performing, I'd noticed that on, you know, even with Kermit too, and with other characters. Like I remember the, the, the dog in the tale of the bunny picnic. He just loved doing that thing. He loved dog puppets, it seems. And he would just get so happy. So, uh, so yeah, um, Dark Crystal, yeah, it was just uh, such a, an amazing, magical, uh, tough, uh, but creative, so creative. Uh, it was the first animatronic film ever, so we had to rehearse for quite a few months uh, to figure out how, how, do we, how do we make a Skeksis walk and how do you work an animatronic face, what is realistic and what isn't, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. how, how do you blink these things when and why and you know the scale of everything mm-hmm. and all that and i made mistakes on film you know the stuff's up there to see um you know had um <laughs> another six months i might have got it figured out but uh you know we <laughs> but you were all learning it seems I, like everybody I, was trying to figure yeah, this out I suppose. right i mean i wasn't as far along as as uh, you know the main guys like steve and everybody and and you know dave and mm-hmm. they all they all sort of had had a lot more under their belts they had a lot more tools to to use and they'd done a lot more film as well you know back then of course um we didn't have the digital uh, cameras or monitors so so when this the film turned over the, the shutter would roll and you'd get this really flickery grainy oh, image yeah. you could hardly see any what you were yep. doing yeah i don't know how that i mean they did that for yeah, uh, so many yeah. movies yeah you just couldn't see what you were doing. It was it was hideous. You just sort of had to look through this weird flicker and hope that it was yeah, like always yeah, yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember so. that. On I think we did that on uh, Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. Uh, that was shot on film, okay. and yeah, yeah, I remember it was just like you could not. Yeah, was it uh, still in black and white at that point? I think we all had black and white monitors. It was oh, color at this point, ooh. but she even having it then be yeah, black yeah. and white. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yeah, and of course, um, you know, the the, the oh. monitors like in this uh, with the Skeksis would have this. Was it six inch? the black and white tube monitors which would get very hot and they were yeah they were slung around your neck with a cable going out as well <laughs> let's have more cables yeah. you know which I I guess um, I guess Carol Spinney had something like that but his was wireless or yeah it was wireless yeah it was so, wireless and it was, but it was a tube yeah. TV and it was very long and got so very hot so it'd be about the same kind of device uh, then that he wore for all those years so so but it was an amazing time and I, I I'm so grateful I really am for for everything that I learned and and how nice everyone was to me. Richard Hunt would always look out for me as well making sure he he even tried to make sure I was being paid enough at one point on Dark Crystal, you know. And he went to the one of the so nice. producer guys and and said Mike's not being paid enough and then I got a pay bump after that. And he was he wow. was right, you know. I mean, amazing. I've heard such great stories about <laughs> Richard and how how he really did look he out did. for other people, and he was very generous and, and just a he kind did, person. He did, uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, we'd always have these meals at the end of uh, a week or during a week or whatever, somewhere in London or, or, or a Chinese restaurant or, or something. And, uh, you know, it'd be like 12 of us all sat around this big, long table. And, you know, at some point during the meal, we wouldn't notice, but he'd slipped off to pay the entire bill for everybody, you know, on a regular basis. That was Richard. That was how he lived his life, and that's how he enjoyed yeah. every moment that, that was was given and uh, yeah he was a very giving uh, person and, and he enjoyed life and Jim you're working with Jim Henson this uh, uh, you know uh, must be a huge inspiration yeah. to you do you was there a moment that you remember other than him laughing yeah. at you <laughs> poking your head out of the Skeksis was there an, another moment a moment that you remember Jim when you're thinking about him now that he's been gone for so long uh, that that you return to a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's, there are so many, um, but you know, I rem- I just I, I I remember him 
sort of as I said before, uh, just being so playful and encouraging us to 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 play. Um, uh, there was one time we were doing, and I, I always remember this. We were doing uh, Muppet Home videos, Muppet, Muppet, something yeah. like that. So it was again early eighties. Someone, someone will tell yeah, us. Someone will tell us about eighty eighty two <laughs> or eighty three or something like that. I think. But um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jim would Jim would I don't know why, but Jim would like he always brought me in to do like hands for Kermit or something or, or for Ralph and that kind of thing. So uh, that was always really nice. But but I was brought in as an assistant for these things. And it, this particular episode was Kermit and Fozzie were in the attic going through old Muppet Show props. Oh, remember this thing? It reminds me of when we did that thing on the show. And then they'd go into a clip, you know. Yeah. But Jerry Jewell was there, of course, you know, writing stuff on the fly, as, as they used to do back then, you know. Uh, they'd just pretty well write the thing on the spot. And then they'd, yeah. after five minutes, they'd have it figured out and they'd go into it. But I remember it was just Jim and Frank doing Kermit and Fozzie in this attic. And it was, you know, the small crew, just a couple of camera guys, a lighting guy, and I think probably Amy Van Gilder doing puppet rigging or something, and stuff, stuff like that. It was hardly anybody on, on the shoot. But they just got into this moment where they started cracking each other up uh, like little children, <laughs> and tears were rolling down their, their cheeks. Uh, they were just having the best time ever. And I always remember that. I always, yeah, it's like, that, that's, that's what puppets are about. This is why we do what we do. You know, it's, it's for ourselves as much as it is for, for you know, <laughs> yeah, for anybody true. else. And, and yeah. there's a reminder that, you know, it, corny as it sounds, it, it, it teaches me that, that this is all, all about the journey, uh, the destination we can't control, but we need to, to make sure that each day we are getting the most out of it uh, uh, and enjoying that every, every breath that we have and the people that are around us. And I think Jim, liked, Jim did like to enjoy life. You know, he'd, he took me to, um, uh, to see uh, uh, Bratsov, the, you know, the Russian uh, puppeteer, um, he was like the big yeah. main guy then. This was in the early '80s, and introduced me to. Oh, this is Michael. He's one of our puppeteers, and you know he'd just do stuff like that, uh, just because he loved to, to enjoy uh, and share other, you know, what other people were doing, um, and share what he had with others. He was a very generous man, uh, for sure. Um, so, yeah, there are so many things. I just remember him just certainly being very encouraging, uh, uh, very uh, um, uh, excited about new stuff. Um, he was always so so far ahead. I, I remember Dark Crystal hearing about Jim wanting to do a, a, a show where puppeteers puppeteered CG characters, and so we're talking about nineteen eighty eighty one there. And it's like, yeah. wait, what are you talking about? This isn't even possible yet, and it wasn't possible yet. But <laughs> sure enough, like it wasn't for six what six years later, he was doing uh, uh, yeah, Waldo. Yeah, Waldo. Yeah, he was doing Waldo. Waldo. Uh, Waldo right? uh, yeah. It wasn't necessarily yeah. quite real time. I mean, the wireframe thing was, but. Nevertheless, you know, there it was. <laughs> so in 1982, you did this little tiny movie called Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, still 17 at that point. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's unbelievable. It was so weird because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I never auditioned for anything yet. And uh, I, I think all I had was uh, I had a... I was called into Robert Watts, the producer's office uh, at Elstree, for 10 minutes and had a little chat with him, and that was it, really. I don't even know what we talked about, but something about Henson <laughs> and Lucas being buddies with each other, and, and uh, you know, there might be some puppets for you to work on this thing, and, 
and great, you know, and that was it really. So beginning of January 82, I was brought in uh, as a puppeteer, just generic puppeteer. I didn't really know what I was going to be working. So I started out um, assisting Tim Rose with Admiral Ankbar on cable controls and Sice Noodles, the singer, who was replaced with CG oh, years later, yeah. of course. Yes, but, yeah. um, so we worked yeah. on that. Uh, with Admiral Akbar and the and the cable controls, what were the cables doing? The eyes, the mouth. What was what were you? Yeah, there were two versions of doing? that. So the the close up version was just head and shoulders, and Tim Rose was working that as a hand puppet, and I was working the eye turns oh. and blinks on cable controls. Then there was a wide shot where okay. Tim was wearing the suit, and the eyes didn't move, but I was working the mouth on on cable control. Uh, so, oh, that's yeah. Cool. So when you see when you see it wide, then that, that it's just the mouth on on cable. So I, I was just miming to Tim acting away inside, you know, saying his stuff. Yeah. So uh, so and then uh, so Jabba's Palace was the first thing we shot. Uh, so Snoodles we shot on first, the singer, and then uh, Phil Tippett gave me um, the close up. Uh, it was he was called Reese, but he was a three eyed camel looking thing. And there was a close-up hand puppet version mm-hmm. of that as well, uh, which I operated. And he, you see him in the alcoves, and he throws the camera as they pan across and that kind of thing. So that was the yeah. first thing. But then, I, 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 yeah, and then I think I, I helped. I remember going, coming in and doing a close-up on Jabba's tail. It was a bean that made a beanbag tail. Uh, they, they, they wanted a close-up of his tail, like being strangled or something. And the regular mm, one was—I me- remember that yeah, shot. Yeah, the regular one was mechanical, so it couldn't really shake like that. Uh, it was on a crankshaft, but and it was attached to Jabba the Hutt. But they'd built this special uh, polystyrene bead <laughs> tail that they wanted it to cl- close off of its shaking as he's being strangled. So I came in and did that. I remember I, I was inside Jabba's butt when he was being strangled, working his eye bulges, <laughs> and it was all cracking and falling apart, and things were sh- batteries were showering down on my head. I remember that. Oh God! Uh, oh as, my! As Carrie was on top, strangling him with the chain. You know, like, <laughs> oh no, this thing's gonna—he's oh, yeah. really gonna die. We're all gonna <laughs> die good. with him. Actually, and all the fiberglass <laughs> was snapping and cracking. And crack, oh crack. Yeah, no! Yeah, it was amazing. There's probably and there was probably just the one Indeed. character. Yes, wasn't yeah, there, there was. I yeah, mean, there were no other no substitutes or anything like that. So, so we did things like that, and then um, what else happened? Uh, I was uh, I had some baby Ewoks as well uh, because they wanted a little hand puppet. Ewok baby thing, so I got to do that. So that yeah. was quite nice. And then Frank, um, I guess because I'd assisted him with Fozzie and Piggy and stuff like that, he wanted me to help to take over Kathy Mullen's job as the right hand for Yoda. Mm. So as you heard from Mr. Barclay earlier, so I got to do that, yeah. which was amazing. Being a big, huge, huge, huge fan of Yoda and Empire Strikes Back, I was obsessing about that a lot before um, I was working with Muppets. So that would be, what, 79 or something mm. like that while I was still at school. So I was a big, huge fan of Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And did you, uh, and I'm guessing you had already put this together, that it was Frank, <clears throat> yeah. the same yeah, Frank, at that, point. that was on the Muppet yeah, Show. Yeah, yeah, because there was enough at that point to, uh, out there to, for me to know that stuff. But it's like, how is Yoda, how is this Yoda thing going to even move? It's not a Muppet. How are they doing that? What is this? Because that was really the very first thing like that ever. I mean, way before yeah. E.T. And it has this very different yeah. looking creature that doesn't look muppety yeah, and, uh, at all people really. at the time thought it was it was a, that was a guy's real eyes in there you know they didn't always understand it was a, a hand puppet but uh, you know frank yeah. frank is just so uh, i don't know if anyone else could have done that at that time other than frank uh, pulled it off i really mm. you know and he, the thing is frank so 
so meticulous and we rehearsed uh, you know i remember going into jedi he, he sat us all down and we, we watched all the footage from empire strikes back he wanted us to watch that first in a little screening room yeah and he was very critical of his own performance and you know like, i gotta i gotta do better guys than this and his eyebrows were going up and down at the same time and it's not supposed to and you know he didn't he wasn't happy uh so, so we rehearsed for quite. It was, you know, he didn't have as much to do in, in Jedi as Empire. So, but we rehearsed for several mm-hmm. days, and we worked out every beat, every movement, every all the timings, exactly when everything happened. Uh, you know, because that was Frank. He approached uh, his performance as, as, you know, very, very much an actor would would approach their their character. Um, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. He, he didn't just sort of let us all fly by the seat of the pants. We knew when the head turns were going to be and when the breaths were and when he was going to look down and when he was going to do this, mm. sit on the bed, and when you know when he's going to pull the covers over him and what looks he was going to have. Everything was, was planned out and mapped out. And we got that figured out so that when we went on set, we could reproduce it from any camera angle. Now, was this different because you had worked with him with Fozzie? Was it different in how he did his Fozzie Bear puppetry? Was that a little bit more free and yeah, just yeah. seat of your pants? Yeah, more, much more so. I mean, I, I think when I, uh, this is my memory of it anyway. I, he, he seemed to need or require more takes with Miss Piggy than Fozzie on Great Muppet Caper. I remember we got up to 100 and then they started over at one again. Uh, because you know he wanted it to be right and you know yeah uh and of course you know he did some amazing amazing work on that film too so Mm -hmm. so i think with fozzy he was probably less uh uh i think maybe piggy was just harder in many ways you know for him yeah so absolutely i mean they are these characters yeah the, yeah, I mean, I know it is like a, it is a little unwieldy, yeah. just like the character, yeah, just, just like, like the character. And for, yourself. And for him, you know, it's, it's about the getting hitting just that right tone, that right emotion, that those those right those acting beats, uh, the timings of everything. You know, he was always approaching the things as a, as a character, and he, he directs his humans mm. the same way. I think too, you know, he's 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 no harder on himself than he is on his actors. I think. Uh, yeah, you know, and what going back and watching Little Shop of Horrors now with all this distance, I'm I'm just amazed at like, wait a minute, this this was really good. How the hell did he do this? This is amazing. <laughs> you know, Frank Frank, yeah. uh, you know, is a great talent, and it, it was nice to to run into him again um, a few years back on uh, was it the uh, the Last Jedi premiere? I think it was. You know, and we we talked a lot about the old days and stuff, and and I thanked Frank, you know, for for what he had passed along to me and helped me with over the years and and uh and with with by example and inspiration and and uh, working alongside mm. him and he just deflected it all he yeah. just said nope it's all jim it's all jim you know he wouldn't accept any any responsibility for what he had <laughs> for his contribution <laughs> what he what he had actually yeah, done for, for, and for yeah. all of us you know i mean seriously you yeah. know so That's yeah remarkable. yeah yeah I, I i like i like the new frank okay stepping away from my talk with mike quinn to ask a puppeteer about not puppets. Ask a puppeteer about not puppets. On today's Ask a Puppeteer about not puppets, we are going to ask Bill Beretta a question about not puppets. Bill, do you remember your first date? Uh, I'd say my first date was I was uh, thirteen and I went to a dance, and I was oh. uh, that was like our our date. You know, did you dance? Oh yeah, you did. I can't get my kids to go to a dance and dance. They just go to a dance and they just sit there. Oh, it was the best. We you got to dance. 
was Saturday Night Fever time. Yeah. It was the 70s, you know, it was great rock and roll. Uh, always and forever. You know, you'd wait for that slow dance at the end. Every At the end of the dance, every oh, yeah. each moment with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I love to dance. Yeah. Let's get back into it with Mike Quinn. You also played a character in Return of the Jedi. Yes, correct. Yes. Tell us about this character that you played. This character that I played in (laughs) Return of the Jedi. Well, let me see now. This was a very, very long time ago. Um, But uh, (laughs) again, it was really just uh, me sort of putting myself up there, I think. Um, He existed as a um, just a background alien. He was a a mask that an extra wore, didn't have any articulation on the face at all. You know, just a just a rubber Mm -hmm. mask. Uh, And that was it. And about halfway through the film, George Lucas, uh, I guess, wanted a co-pilot for Lando because he knew he needed one, and he just he just <laughs> yeah. liked the look of this guy. This, you know, he looks great, um, and so he oh, picked yeah. him out. And I was um, I used to hang around a lot in the creature shop uh, at Elstree, which uh, Phil Tippett was heading up. So you know, instead of going home, I just sort of play with all their various creatures and <laughs> just, puppets. Just and, hang out. You yeah. Know, and Phil, I guess, would just be, yeah, whatever. So as he's repairing yeah. and gluing and finishing up puppet bits and things with his, <laughs> his team. And uh, came across this uh, nine num mask sitting there. And that, there were two of them, you know, I guess a spare, you know. And uh, I kind of really liked the look of him. And he was saying, oh, yeah, George is George just chosen him to be in, in this the scenes in a couple of weeks in the falcon and and he has dialogue and he doesn't have any mouth movement and we don't know what we're going to do and he's oh no maybe we'll put a an oxygen mask over his face because his mouth doesn't move and we'll put bladders in his cheeks <laughs> to make his to, to make it look like he's talking or something uh-huh. and i was like really this, <laughs> you just <laughs> this isn't this isn't so so i, I picked up the mask and put my hand inside and I said, look, you can actually make the, the, the mouth talk if you turn it into a hand puppet. And he was like, oh, you know what? Uh-huh. That's a good idea. I like that. I like that. So then he said, well, do you think you could like fit it out and finish that up and, and puppetize it and then we can show it to George in a week or so? So that's what I did. I got some bits of foam from his shop and glued in a mouth plate inside and put in a brain, you know, in there and, and, and I think there mm-hmm. was... Probably some shoulder section or something that I stole or whatever, fake shoulders or whatever. So sort of made a, a, a rough puppet out of this one of these masks. And uh, then we did a film test uh, that George Lucas directed. Uh, mm. I think it was on stage stage eight, I want to say, uh, at Elstree. At <laughs> and you were puppeteering. Was, so basically they had the extra in one mask stood there and next uh-huh. to him was me with the hand puppet uh, puppeteering him and so he George mm-hmm. wanted to see them next to each other and compare them you know one on one and so he would tell us to you know look around and say stuff and react in different ways and just take us through the, mo- the moves I guess and then I um, yeah. and I said well you know you could have you could put in some eye blinks some mechanical eye blinks in there and then I actually put my hand behind his ear and said he can wiggle his ears too because he had these great big ears which I loved and of course Stan Laurel used to do that as well you know <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to bring a bit of, of that into into him and uh, Stuart Ziff I think that it was one of the coordinators uh, he, he, he basically uh, George asked you know can you can you do that can you add that stuff and Stuart sort of agreed yes I, I guess we can and and off he, off he went <laughs> uh, back to California with this head to mechanize it 
which Kirk Thatcher worked on. Interesting, because oh, Kirk was at, at the that. Creature Shop. I knew he worked on. Yeah, the, he yeah. was there at that. We hadn't met. He didn't come over to London at that time. So, but Kirk, you know, uh, did did some early, I think some 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 video tests or something of the finished puppet mm-hmm. before it was sent back to London. Um, and then so anyway, two about two weeks later. Uh, so this would be about May, I think, March, April or May of eighty two. Uh, we were we had a, a day or two to shoot on the Millennium Falcon, and somehow I was puppeteering it. I guess because I, I don't know because I was there. I don't know. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same thing as all these it's other the same stories. Story. Mike. You are where you need to be at that particular time. Whether it is saying, <laughs> "Look, it's a puppet." Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> or I, I mean, make my own opportunities for sure. That yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have yeah. to. I think there's a part you there's do a have to do. There's to be that. learned. I think for yeah. others too in this. You know, put yourself in the front. I think so. And don't be shy. And and don't don't uh, uh, be self defeating. Right. Mm-hmm. We can do that sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, so I showed up on set and I, I had my uh, my sides, my script, and the, there was no um, dialogue written for him because it, it just said nine numb chatters and oh by the way he was called nine numb because originally he was just number nine on the on the creature list and he didn't have a name. <laughs> I actually have that sheet somewhere. Yeah, really? yeah. And he was like, you know, squid head, number nine. Know, yak face, number nine, and <laughs> yeah, number so, nine. So they changed it to nine numb. I yeah. Know. So anyway, that's that's uh, neither here nor there. So so I um it's, it's, no, that's pretty here. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I like that. That's 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 where they came up with it's the so name. Difficult for these people, isn't it? So, <laughs> it's nine yeah. numb. Just call it nine. Um. So uh, yeah, the script just said nine numb chatters a liquid alien language or something like that. And then you had Orlando's responses. Back and forth it went. Back and forth it went. Nine numb reacts, and then Lando says something. And again, I thought, this is a bit rubbish, really. You know, how can, how can you run a scene like that? And how is he going to know what to say and when and when I'm done with my right. noise and whatever? So I actually, in, in very, very carefully in pencil, so it could be rubbed out rather quickly, I wrote in what <laughs> yes. I thought he should be saying, you know, because we always do our stuff in English and this, we know it's all going to be replaced later with something, you know, by the wonderful Ben Burt or whoever. Anyway, later, and that's yeah. always how things were were done in, especially in the creature films and stuff. So, so I knew, you know, whatever we did wasn't going to be used. So I just said to George, mm-hmm. "Can I can I say these things in English uh, because it would sort of help us play the scene?" Because George was actually directing those scenes. Uh, uh, Richard Marquand uh, was on another set directing, I think, the Rancor Pit scenes because they were running a bit behind. So, it's sort of, so George stepped in to direct that. So I, I went, yeah, I went up to George and said, can I, can I say these things? And he looked over what I'd written and thought for a moment and then he, he just kind of looked up at me and said, yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> and that was it. So I got to write my own dialogue and we, we, <laughs> that, we didn't rehearse. I mean, you know, we were in the Falcon and we were just running lines, you know, before each scene. Uh, just you yeah, and Billy yeah, D. Yeah. Williams. And they had to cut out the base of the, uh, the seat uh, Chewy seat. Um, it was a metal structure, and they were like really worried. Like, are you sure you want you need this cutting out? Because I had to lay flat on my back to fit in there. Um, and I uh, said, Yeah, I can't. I can't get in there without it because it was like a apparently a 1973 race car seat that they couldn't get anymore. And they were like really upset about having to cut this metal out of this seat because <laughs> now they just reproduce them. Yeah, how dare you? Curse you! Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so that's how that was done. Uh, and I got because it was all 
back in those now they they have them on these mechanical gimbals and stuff, you know. Um, but but back then it was just uh, scaffolding frames and stagehands rocking them around, you know, to make it look like we were, you know, flying oh, and stuff. Yeah. And then they had lights on tracks that would circle above us to make it look like we were barrel rolling and that kind of thing. However, I did get motion sick under there because it was it's like being in the hull of a boat. You know, you can't see the horizon. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a monitor again, a little chest monitor, uh, so I can see what the cameras oh. are seeing, and I'm being doesn't make all it any day better. long that does not help. and rocking <laughs> and oh, yes, yeah, so I thought I was going to hurl in there. <laughs> the motion sickness is not yeah great. that and uh, and looking at a monitor yeah, oh. I just, again similar thing when uh, Dave Barkley and I were working on the UK Fraggle Rocks in the early '80s, and we did a, a an episode where, uh, of Uncle Matt, Uncle Traveling Matt, where he was on a ghost train, and so Dave had a fake a fake arm around Uncle. You know, on the on the back of the ghost train or whatever, while he was working Matt, and I was down at his feet working the arms, and we had to go through this ghost train like dozens and dozens of times, and the same thing, like, oh, no, I can't do this. Uh, yeah, it's as you can great. imagine. So that yeah, the, the hazards of being a puppeteer. But anyway, yes, the things we so, do. You know, here we are, years later. Suddenly, thirty years on, yeah. they they you got yeah. to play. You got to play <gasps> Nine again to. in Force Awakens. Yeah. You were in all three. He was he in was, all three. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You, people kept thinking he'd died each time, but he kept showing up in the next film, which was amazing. <laughs> so, like, he didn't die. So he lives on. He lives so, on. Theoretically, I suppose. Although now it's, it's, it's sort of ambiguous as to whether he, he died or lived in the, at the end of the last film. Oh, in the... Uh, because he... Yeah. Yes, originally he was supposed to, to die, and that was, that was a, you know, a thing. Mm. But then they cut out a, a, a final shot that was apparently there two weeks before the release, um, from my inside sources, and then it was removed of this oh. ship exploding. So, the, which was the Tantiv Four, which was Leia's original ship that had the Death Star plans. Mm-hmm. So, there's me thinking maybe they decided they might want to keep the ship for future things and not have it get destroyed just oh, in maybe. case. You know, maybe. they want some continuity later on because it's kind of like the very yeah. first thing you see in Star Wars. You know, is this yeah. is Tantiv Four? I think it's a great idea. So maybe idea. they pulled that shot out. You know, at the last minute, thinking maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. So it's kind of ambiguous uh in the movie i'm i think so i think i think so in the novel he dies (laughs) but Uh, (laughs) but that's because it was based on (laughs) that's all it changes things they make changes all the time it's a book it's a book you know the films are what matters so so but yeah you know they they asked me uh you know did i did i want to come back and do it so uh, this time I got to to see through his eyes when they didn't fog up at least, so I got to wear the costume. Uh-huh. And there was one puppeteer that would work the animatronic face uh, externally. So so I got to do that in three films and on the uh, the, the Rise of the Resistance ride at, at Disney as well. Oh, um, and they had yeah. to match the uh, animatronic to my my movements uh, for the footage with the video. Footage. That is so, so cool. Yeah. That's cool. So I finally got to be. You know, as a as a kid, as a Disney fan, loving you know, like there's this eight year old spending his money on Disney. I, I bought a book on Disneyland, looking and seeing all these little pictures uh, with my pocket money. Um, like, oh, you know, and the, the, there were the flying Dumbo's that you were in, and, and all these rides. Thinking, wow, that's just amazing. But I'll never get to go there. I'll never, you know, get to visit. That's you know, that's something that never happens <clears throat> to a little you know, English lad, you know. 
So right. and then fast forward years later, and I'm doing Star Wars weekends, doing signings at Disney, and and mm-hmm. going in, in a in a parade, you know, uh, and uh, yeah. and then in a ride. So it's 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 just insane, really, isn't it? But what a lovely thing! Yeah, it's amazing how our li- the journey, what journeys we get. Yeah, to go and on. the thing is, you know, we're not done yet, and I I really genuinely no. feel I've not done my my big thing yet. I really don't feel that I have that this, you know, that I and yet, you know, the. the my my uh, doomsday clock is 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 ticking away. <laughs> like the, the years no. are diminishing. So no, I better hurry not. up because I I gotta get, I gotta get this get, moving. Make something of my life, you know, instead of fooling around like this. So yeah, I haven't done my big well, thing yet. I'm gonna say this. Not you know, you said gotta do something with your life. Look, you have done so many films. I'm gonna name some of them. This is just a partial list. Dream Child, Little Shop of Horrors, Labyrinth, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Muppet Christmas Carol. You played The Undertaker in that. Was there anything else that you played in that? that you um, think of? Well, I did uh, one-liners and voices and song singing and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, of course, doubling for Tiny Tim for, for on Kermit's shoulder because Jerry, it was too physical for Jerry Nelson to do it, so he wanted yeah. me to do Stuff like that, yeah. Uh, Muppet Treasure mm-hmm. Island, Muppet Wizards of Oz, The Muppets, <laughs> Muppets Most Wanted. I mean, that's a huge, li- that's a huge <coughs> list right there, and there's, things, there's also things that I didn't even mention. And then... You you did animation for not, not only some big Pixar films like A Bug's Life and Toy Story Two, yeah, but for Jurassic Park Three and Attack of the Clones. I mean, uh, wh- wh- and you, a Hershey's Kisses how, commercial too. Wh- <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're on a roller coaster. All these kisses going up on a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, now, how did you learn to animate on a computer? Um, I mean, I know you were drawing on paper, yeah. I'm sure, you know, like you said, as a, as a kid, but what was this about on the computer? When did that so come 90s, about? In the 90s, you know, uh, I, was, I started to use early Macs to, 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 um, to organize time codes for, for editing for our show and, and figuring out music cues and things like that. So I was using early programs. QuickTime, I think, was even was hardly even, a, I think it was a little tiny inch black and white flickery postage stamp thing at that time but i knew that computers would be would be uh useful then uh, a few years later onward um i i think i had a mac quadra or something one of those boxes that uh, i used to um to composite uh, puppets onto onto drawn backgrounds and i made i figured out you could make a a, a puppet wink using a post-production uh, animation and track motion tracking uh, and that kind of stuff so uh-huh. in after effects so uh I bought a little, an early computer program that never really worked very well. But but I, I started to teach myself principles of animation, and I, I knew that this was going to be something that would would at least enhance what we do as puppeteers in some way, removing rods and and showing full length puppeteers. And you know, back then, of course, things were most people were still using um, blue screen. I think we'd used an early green screen on a on a, a kids show that Dave and I were working on eighty nine nine ninety. But um, Toy Story came out, and it was like, wow, this is this is like, uh, you know, something that Jim could have made years ago. This is amazing. It, it's, you know, the, it's about the story and the characters and and the visual eye candy, and and it was like, it was so in a way, it was a bit like this is the new Muppets in a way. Um, you know, you had characters mm. that that uh, were very you know abstract, but but coming to life just like Muppets were. So right. uh, I was quite intrigued by that, and I used to visit all the the yearly uh, computer. Uh, fairs that they would have in London and um, this one particular year uh, Pixar were recruiting 
And so I made it my job to uh, go up to them. <laughs> <laughs> With a brown no, envelope there, and inside was yeah, uh, a little, pretty <laughs> letter. <much>. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I gave them I gave uh, them something and went off to watch a, a digital domain talk. Uh, at, the, at the end of the row, all the... the uh, Pixar recruiters were like waiting for it to finish so that they could come and uh, and nab us uh, to uh, to uh, to hire us. Basically, what they said is we can teach oh. we can teach actors to work a computer, but we can't teach uh, people to act. Is what Pixar said. So they knew they wanted people that could act their characters, and they they knew they could teach okay. us animation. So uh, Karen Prell, who I was married to at the time, of course, they hired. Uh, her and myself, they had two two positions mm-hmm. available. They had two positions, and you yeah. two got the job. Yeah, you both got the job. Yeah, from yeah. at least from yeah from Europe anyway. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I remember that, and Bar- Barclay and, and and Karen and myself, we went over. I think it was was it before? Yeah, it was before the training started, and we we gave a little talk to their uh, have a few hundred uh, employees they had at that time. Um, uh, a trunk full of puppets and animatronics, and and they were, they loved that because, of course, you know, all their world was virtual, and here we were like animating things in real time in a way. And uh, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was there, and John Lasseter, and all the guys, Ed Catmull. Uh, so I remember that so well. And then uh, uh, the I think the beginning of the following year was it ninety seven, I think, or something like that. Uh, Karen and I joined their Pixar University, which was something like an eight, eight or 12-week animation course. There were about mm, maybe 10 or 12 of us in, in that class uh, to learn their systems and do little um, uh, uh, tests and, and, and exercise, animation exercises. And if we passed, then we got hired. So uh, we passed and got hired, and I had a month to go back to the UK, pack up the house, sell everything, and move back out to California. <laughs> ah, and there you and were. Then, then you're sitting in front of a yes. computer, right? And you're you're animating. And is is <coughs> animating? Is it like puppeteering? Animating on a computer? In some ways, it, it was only a lot. It's it's not. It wasn't spontaneous. That's the only thing. You know, you you could use mm. that performing knowledge to to create the performance, but then you had to lay it out in almost like in spreadsheets. You know, it's all about numbers, and and uh, you had to break everything down. I like the fact that you had so much control over every single thing, though. Every little facial nuance, every joint of your finger you could control all that stuff so i liked that ex- and you didn't you couldn't break it you didn't get a head in shot you know your arm rod didn't come out you didn't tear the <laughs> corner true. of the mouth you know uh, so you didn't <laughs> have radio right. yeah, control yeah. interference um so mm-hmm. that was the upside the downside was that you know it would take like a week to do five seconds worth of stuff um and back wow. then uh, the computers would, would keep crashing quite a lot and you'd have these things called core dumps and you'd have to then call in an IT and they would have to recall your animation from some other uh, backed up source and you know you'd an hour would go by and, and maybe if you were lucky you could go back and jump back into what you were working on again so it was it was a very different process but i mean for me for me the i think the most fun was figuring out how to do Woody's roundup the 50s puppet show because yeah. they, I, they, they'd done one shot uh, test, and it was it was kind of a little bit sort of um, hokey. It was it was just like not very realistic, and 
sort of a bit too jokey. And I said, well, hang on a minute. You could, here's how you could do it if you really want it to look good. So, um, and they, they took it all on board. You know, I told them where all the strings would go and how, how the jaw... Uh, would move where the pivot should be um, and how the eyelids which could be drawn onto the eyes so that when he blinks the eyes roll down and then when they when they return there's a little bounce like it's hitting a little rubber stop inside so if you watch closely you'll yes. see all that stuff the, you know the, the and that kind of just comes from your experience yeah with yeah and, and it was it was good but everything had to be hand animated even the strings there was no simulation or anything so either the, the sag and the mm. sway of everything so I did some early tests um which I think were on one of the DVDs of uh, of how how to you know how to do the whole pendulum effect on on a marionette, uh, what that would actually be like, and some of that I actually learned from on Labyrinth. Jim Henson brought in when we were still building on that and, and rehearsing for Labyrinth. He brought in Albrecht Rosa, who was uh, a well known German marionettist at the time, um, to to give us a little workshop, uh, which was basically Dave and Karen and myself uh, learning how to be a marionettist. <laughs> Uh, so I use some of that knowledge for this. Mike, you have a website. Do I? Mike Quinn's Secrets of oh. Puppetry Academy. Yeah, oh, that's right. Uh, yes. Apparently I do, don't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, I mean, you're not on it yeah. every day. You've kind of done the work ahead of time, I'm guessing. Yeah. But can you tell me about your Puppetry Academy? What? Why do you have a Puppetry Academy? Mm, why do? Yeah, you know what, though? It's because... I didn't have that when I was starting. That's the thing. I would have, oh my goodness, I would have sold my clothes to to, to have right. something like that when I began. So many of us yeah. would have, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, and and, and um, it's it's still sort of a, a living organic thing. Uh, you know, I, I go in and add things, and there'll be other lessons that I'll be adding uh, to to one of the upper levels uh, soon as well. Um, but it's really to just pass that stuff on, to be honest, because we need, you know, we want more more people to know how to do this stuff and how to do it well. And if they can have a shortcut, then why not? You know, it's all things that came out of yeah. out of the Dark Crystal workshops and what I'd seen Jim and Dave and Frank teach and what I'd learned along the way and what I'm still learning. You know, that's the thing. And I never stop learning, still, still trying to improve. That will never stop and will never change. But uh, it was to try and just get some of that stuff down on, you know, up there for, for people to see uh, and, and utilize if they want. Whether they want to do it just for fun, you know, as a hobby, a semi-professional, or whether they want to go go for it and, and be one of the, the main, you know, world-class puppeteers, I think it's a good jumping off point at least yeah it absolutely and what and what is your what's that path on it it's like i'm sure it starts at a beginner level is it start i mean are you teaching everything like um lip yeah. sync and what that's about and then do you go do you go into the monitor work and, yeah and basically well it, it came out there. of um some live uh, workshops that i gave uh, well in fact uh, dave barkley and i uh, did this in london back in the early i'd say 94 or something like that and it was a week-long workshop for about uh, 10 people um, and uh, so, so it was it's sort of an extension of that. So I knew that it, it worked, taking people from, you know, not even having done anything before, essentially. So I like to, I thought, well, first of all, you need to know how to how to even stand, you know, because people people sort of mm. hold the puppet off to the side, and it's like, well, no, you're not really helping yourself here, and you know, like how if you're in an optimal p position anyway, if you if you 
could, which never really happens. But if you could, if you could, <laughs> right? But if, if you, you could, could, if you were, the, if you were the king of the world and you could build a set the right height yeah. and, and all this stuff, this is how you would stand. Uh, you know, so even just the <laughs> fundamentals, what's happening with your bones? Because you can twist your hand one way more than you can twist it the other way. So how do you get it to look e- even? So what are the tricks behind that? What's actually happening kinetically with your bones and your muscles? So so starting right at very much at day one and just building uh, bit by bit, I focus and what is lip sync and how, you know, just, yeah, monitors everything, arm rods, live hands. Yeah, so where do people find this, oh, Mike? If yes, I think it's something like academy. Uh, uh, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> where, do they, where do they find this? Uh, academy.secretsofpuppetry.com, I believe it is. Yes. Or they can ask me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> you've, also written, you've also written a book. Oh, yes, yes. It's uh, actually waiting currently, uh, at the time of this recording anyway, for uh, all my mm-hmm. secret pictures, which are in, in California, and I'm not there at the moment. They were retrieved from... Yes, it's difficult to get it's, to It is a little bit right now, but um, when you're I think there. that will change soon. But they, they were in Texas for a okay. long time, and they've since been moved to California just before the... Uh, uh, the, that uh, whole pandemic thing happened. So, so at least they're... Don't no, know what no, you're talking about. No, whatever that. Yeah, I've read about it something. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that's very exciting. Again, though, it's, it's, it's really just... Um, uh, I, th- I think what I want to achieve from that is it's not so much about telling my story. It's more about showing other people what, um, what their potential might be, that, that uh, you know, you can dream big and you can think big and you can be preposterous and and uh, and uh, do things that should never happen um because that's when great things happen that's that's when we, we change things a little bit or you know we help other people in some way so so I, th- I think the idea is if i can at least tell a little bit about what i went through and all the and all the the things you don't talk about you know the the doubts that you have and and you know when a big film comes to an end and suddenly your family has moved away uh, you know to an, another continent and you're left on your own what do you do what, you know <laughs> do you do? We, we never talk yeah. about those things but it's 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 the reality of, of being yeah. human and and uh, you know we because we do we become like families we attach ourselves to each other and we have each other's back and and we support each other sometimes in some very long difficult uh, projects and uh, yeah. and then you, you see them again and again each time uh, so how do you how do you deal with that so things like that as well so i'm not just going for the obvious stuff people want to hear certainly the stories and what was it like and what was this person like and that kind of thing but it's it's more about mm-hmm. it's more about i think the, the human condition and 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 full being being your best self and, and fulfilling that i think uh to me well, and then there'll cool. be a very, yeah, very you know, cool. But the good thing, actually, about the the because when i initially um launched that i hadn't made the third star wars film yet so uh, so I, you know, I now know. I can actually put an ending on there, uh, which I couldn't do oh, that's before. True, yeah. So it does put a nice little bow on it and stuff. So which is quite nice. Uh, so there's, I guess, there's an upside to it as well. Um, Absolutely. But, well, it's very cool. Thank you. It's really, it's uh, you're you are a man of many talents, Mike, and I'm I'm so impressed by you. But now I want to see how you do when I ask you some rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you Never. ready? Oh, was, was that one of them? <laughs> no, it is okay. not one of them. But this one, here okay. comes the first one. Ready? Here we go. What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? Um, what's the hardest? I'll have to answer quickly, do I? Um, uh, <laughs> no, oh. no, you don't have to answer quickly. I just probably won't elaborate or, uh, okay. you know, I won't ask a, you know. I th- I th- the physicality, definitely. Uh, as you get older, you know, oh, you pull, a, you pull a stomach muscle. It's like, what's happening? How did that happen? So uh, <laughs> the, it's the physicality of yeah. it, definitely. 
What's the easiest? Oh gosh, playing, being a kid, just having fun. Oh my goodness, when it just happens and comes naturally, and you don't even have to worry about the the technicalities of it all. You just you're just flowing. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's the best. Yeah. What is your biggest strength as a puppeteer, performer, animator? Oh, I would. I, my biggest strength. I would like to think that it's a clarity, visual cleanliness maybe I hope um, mimicry possibly as well uh, yeah I don't know yeah and what's your biggest weakness my biggest weakness oh probably I would I may I would say acting but that may or may not be true I don't know because I think there's always a lot more we can do with our acting side mm-hmm. of things uh, but I would that's all on me. I need to just need to do more of it, you know. So I don't know. All right. So what's one of your favorite things about being a Muppet performer? Oh my goodness! Uh, getting to pretend that you're somebody you're not. I mean, you know, you get to to hang out with all these amazing singers and <laughs> writers, composers, actors. Uh, get to do do crazy things play these characters that are nothing like you at all. You know, we look at the things that, that in recent years that we, you know, we've done together, for example, the, the insane stuff at Hollywood Bowl and the O2 and all the, the crazy <laughs> commercial know. stuff. And I mean, just, yeah. just, just being, being in that environment is, is, it's just, you know, doing, doing the songs, doing the, the, the music, uh, getting to hang out with your heroes um, uh, and, you know, and them accepting you as an equal is amazing. You know, it's just agreed, there's agreed. just so many great things I could go on answering this for years. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted one oh, of your favorite one of my favorites. Things, Mike. Oh, my, one of my favorite things is getting them. to work with Matt Fogel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, liar. Okay, if you weren't a puppeteer, <laughs> what would be? Oh, wait, I'm oh, gonna change okay. this. If you weren't a puppeteer or an animator or a builder or an author. <laughs> What else do you do? What would be your career? Um, I, if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said uh, chef. Um, yes. Oh. Uh, what, what's changed um, in 10 years? Now, uh, my, my other... You hate cooking. <clears throat> I, I quite like, I still quite like cooking. I like doing the vegetables and all that. Yeah. Uh, but now right now, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in uh, learning music production, uh, which is, again, a parallel with you, because I know you, you, know, you yeah. very much have done a lot of music yeah, yeah. For, for a long time. And, and you, didn't you like, remix yeah. your album or something recently or something? Yeah, yeah so, so, yeah, so you know, a, um, yeah. I'm, there's something that I'm... I'm I, in fact, I have a, a, a single that's, uh, I think, being released shortly at the time of this recording uh, it's, it's, it's a fundraiser for a hospice but um, uh, where I'm singing uh, uh, on that and, and uh, working on the music video currently for it but, but I'm really intrigued in learning uh, uh, music production uh, um, engineering uh, writing uh, music uh, you know working with, with uh, uh, keyboards and, and just creating composing music songs that's so cool. And were you any way a musician when you were growing up in any I way? I wasn't really, although um, my sister had piano lessons, so she had a little upright piano in the back room. And um, I would, you know, I, I was never given the opportunity to have lessons. I wish I, I was. But, but I'd, 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 I'd uh, had my tape recorder and I'd play um, parts of music back on this cassette tape and try to pick out the notes and start working out chords and melodies and learning them just going through the 
the song bit by bit. Wow. And my mother used to You're playing play, by ear. play my ear. That's amazing. And my mother would think it was my sister uh, practicing her piano lessons, you know, in the next room because <laughs> she'd hear this thing going away. So, so there was that. Yeah, um, pretty cool. But uh, I do, I'm quite interested in, in the whole, the whole side of things. Uh, definitely. Well, uh, Jerry, Jerry Nelson once said to me, Sesame Street's great, but you always have to have something that is your own that you create. So Mike Quinn, creator of many things. <laughs> He's right, though. He's <laughs> what, right, yeah. What is that for you? Yeah. What, what do you have that, that you would say is that thing for you? Um, yeah, I, certainly at the moment I'm enjoying uh, my music side of things for sure. It's something that the most... And I've written all kinds of little short things and I've not played to anybody because they're just, you know, they're, they're experiments, they're explorations. Um, uh, but they could become songs mm. later on. They may well do. Uh, uh, but but also, you know, I've done my own puppet shows before and productions before, and I'm really thinking I would like to do that again now, uh, start up a new production company uh, for, for puppets and puppet-related things. I have a, In fact, I still have a, a Stan Laurel documentary that um, I need to finish as well. So, again, oh, yeah, the, the yeah, tapes yeah. for that are also in California yeah, currently. So, I remember that. So, um, so there's that. Uh, so I, I like to, to do my own stuff as well and, and uh, bring in, see if I can bring in a few other people uh, to, to, to help with that, that kind of thing. But, but I'd like to do some puppet productions. There are some films I'd like to do as well, puppet films. Uh, I have all these projects mm. that go from like little simple web things all the way up to uh, feature films that I, I'd like to, to make. And that's why I say I don't have enough time left now to do what I want to do. You know, it's great. Well, let's hope that you get to Thank them, you. Mike. So listen, uh, when are you coming back to America? Uh, that should be early uh, 2022, right? Yeah. I think I have a show over there in February anyway in oh, Florida. Oh, but, I, you are? Oh, good. But, um, yeah, hopefully I'll make many, many trips uh, across the pond uh, and spend more time over there in the coming year for sure. So that's my plan. Uh, for, for I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's work things, good. but also there's, there are just so many pals that I need to see that I haven't seen in such a long time as well. And so, so I do miss that. You know, I've just been hiding out here for a while, uh, you know, in my, in my little <laughs> cave uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that I see you when you come over here at some Definitely. point. Maybe we're working together. Or yeah. Maybe we're, uh, you know, sharing a beverage at some point. But Mike, I thank you so much for uh, sitting with me and talking with me on Below the thank Frame. Thank you so much. Did I get the job? This was an interview, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You got it. This is my. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you great. Got, it. got the job. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, that's it. That's Below the Frame. We will be back with a brand new episode next week where we'll be speaking with Muppet builder Raleigh Cruson. You can get updates and stuff about Below the Frame and Muppets and Sesame Street and whatever I feel like posting, like pictures of my dog, on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at Welcome Matt V. Below the Frame is produced by me, Matt Vogel. The theme song was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and was performed by my band, The Mighty Weaklings. The podcast artwork was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. The word from our sponsor today for headbands was written by Spencer Lott and performed by Spencer, Chris Thomas Hayes, and Megan Pythas. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Mike Quinn, Dave Barclay, Bill Beretta, and as always, my son Jack for being a part of this episode. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I am Matt Vogel. We'll see you next time when we go below the frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go below the frame.